This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures. I'm your host, Dr. Norman Horn. And today with me, I have Mr. Randy Lovejoy, who's a writer, coach, and pastor. He's a multi-published author. He's got a book out called God in La La Land, an upcoming book called Outside of the Church. And he writes at a substack called Make Good Happen. He is a really just fascinating fellow. He's been around the world. He's going to tell us all sorts of things and stories about where he's been and what he's been doing for the kingdom of God. Really want to welcome you, Randy. Thanks for joining me here today. Thanks, Norman. I'm so glad to be a part of this. I love what you're doing and glad that I get to contribute to it. Thank you. Well, and it's exciting to talk to you. We've, as is want to happen whenever I have a guest on, I end up talking to them, you know, usually about 20 or 30 minutes before we even get started recording. And my, by golly, I think we have so many things to talk about. We could probably go for a few hours, but we don't have that much time. Yeah. So really what we want to do though, is focus on your story and where have you been and how have you gotten to be who you are today? both as a Christian and as a person who was operating in the marketplace doing good for others. So let's begin with that. Like, how did you get to be this unusually bizarre person that you are? <laughs> I'm kind of setting that up for an explosion, am I? There you go. But at any rate, I'm excited for you to be able to tell that story to our listeners here. So tell us, how did you get to this point? Well, I, I was thinking about that from our previous conversation. I thought, well, maybe this is a good story to start with to help people kind of get a handle on that. It was about late 1994. I had been ordained as a Presbyterian pastor for just a couple of years, and I was leading a Bible study in a thatched hut in Portuguese, and it was being translated from Portuguese into another language. There were about 15 people gathered around as we were looking at the scriptures together, and about 20 minutes into it, two men walked in and asked if they could join us. They explained that they'd walked 20 kilometers because they had heard that there was a Bible study here and they wanted to be a part of it. Wow. So we said, no, you can't go home. No, I'm kidding. So, <laughs> so we, yeah. no, so we, we said, yes, definitely come on in and had a wonderful time with them. But that story really sticks in my mind because I was in Mozambique at that time. And I didn't know that much about Mozambique while I was in seminary, so our listeners may not know that much about the country either. It's, it's a Southern African country, and they were in a civil war from 1977 to 1992, so up until two years before this. One million people died in the civil war, 1.7 million refugees that were in other countries, and a lot of the people I was meeting with had been in Malawi that whole time and had just moved back from refugee camps to try to rebuild their houses. And 5.7 million people were internally displaced. And this is all out of a 13 million people population of the country. Oh, wow. So it's yeah. most of the country. And the rebel group, their whole deal was, let's destroy all the infrastructure, defeat the government, and then other people will come in and rebuild it for us. So it was a very destructive approach. The weird thing was that as I was there in the midst of all of this poverty, I think the average salary was $200 a year at that point in that country. But as I was there, Christianity was in the air. I, I don't know how, to how else to describe it, but it was like the air was thick with people wanting to know and wanting to grow in their faith. 
So fast forward a couple of years from that, say two years after I was back in the United States and, and, and was involved in a great kind of big steeple church in Florence, South Carolina, where I was the associate pastor. And that was kind of the beginning of my ministry in the United States. But I was trying to figure out how come I don't feel that same sense of Christianity in the air, even though there's so much abundance and good things here comparatively. Mm -hmm. And what can I do to bring that about? So I've spent the last 20 years, this, this is part of my story is a story of failure. I've spent the last <laughs> 20 years trying to turn around that decline that's been going on in the U.S. among churches since the 1950s. If you look back, it was late 50s, early 60s that the decline started. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just continued. And, and, and even, you know, post-pandemic, it's, it's declining even faster. Um, yeah. I tried all sorts of ways, like church renewal. When I was in South Carolina, we did these renewal things for church. I, I in, in Los Angeles, I, I was there for five years and moved to Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, I spent my whole ministry working in redevelopment, working with existing churches to help them reconnect with their community, and, and then working at the presbytery level with uh, groups of churches helping them redevelop, reconnect with their community, and begin a new and a fresh life there. But really, if I have to look back on that, I have to say that I, I don't think I even made a dent in the situation there. I know the Lord wanted me in those places. I, I don't have any doubt about that. But I can't really tell what the impact was of my time spent there in ministry. But there were a couple of clues about what I needed to do next. And this kind of gets to how I became a Substack writer and, and where my focus is today. Mm -hmm. One was while I was at a church in Silver Lake in Los Angeles, we decided we needed to get a food pantry together. So I got some people from the congregation and also a couple of, we had some homeless people that were a part of our congregation too. So I invited a couple of them into the committee meeting. And it turns out that they had the best insights. It, it wasn't the mm. church insiders. It was these people that weren't totally in the church, that were homeless themselves, that came in and had the best insights into how we should set up our food pantry. And that planted a little seed in my mind, which was, if the church is going to turn around in the US, maybe it's not just the insiders that are gonna be able to do that. Maybe we need to hear from some of those that are outside of the church structure to be able to figure out how we're gonna do this thing called Christianity in the West in the future. And okay. so with that idea and with the passage of the hundred sheep, you know, that, that, where, where, that Jesus tells, along with the lost, the lost coin and the prodigal son, I thought I felt a real calling by God to go out from the institution, get more entrepreneurial, and try to work with people that have been struggling with the church or are kind of outside of the church or on the fringes of it to just begin to experiment with faith and culture and figure out how do we do this thing? What's, what's the future church going to look like? Mm -hmm. Now, to do that, I had a couple of sources. One was entrepreneurial business folks because they're doing all sorts of great stuff, you know, without a safety net. I mean, that's one of the things I love about a lot of our entrepreneurs yeah. is they, they've got this vision and they go for it. It's like, hey, what about the safety net? Who needs a safety net? I'm going for it. I'm going to take this. You know, I love that. And then the other was that I looked back at my experience and realized that my work, not only in Mozambique, but prior to that in Latin America, 
I was working with a lot of Christian missionaries who really were entrepreneurs. They knew how to work outside of the church structure in a different culture and figure out how this Christianity thing, what it's going to look like in this new land that they find themselves in. So I wanted to bring all of those things together, that missionary way of thinking, that entrepreneurial business way of thinking, and the problem that we've got of, of just a real decline in church attendance and people being involved in, in the faith or even knowing about the faith, at least in the area I'm in, in, in LA, bring that together and figure out a way to really facilitate a fresh translation of the gospel in Western culture. And that is what my Substack, you know, what the Substack channel is really focused on is helping people to engage the scriptures, to engage the history of other Christians from other lands and develop it into their own lives very practically. How are they going to live their lives as Christians 24-7? You know, uh, whether they're involved in church or not, whether they're struggling with church or not, how are they going to live out their faith very practically in their own life, in their relationships, and in their local community? So that's what, that's what I am totally focused on now. But it's a business because I am working outside of a lot of the institutional supports that I've had most of my life as a Presbyterian pastor. And I've got a nonprofit. And through the nonprofit, I have the funds to be able to launch this thing and to try to, to, try to get it to, I'm going to say faithfully, to get it to sustainability so <laughs> that I can continue to facilitate this new translation by helping people really integrate Christianity into their daily lives. So awesome. Yeah. How's that for a starting journey? Oh, I think it's pretty neat. And there's a number of touch points that I think really can resonate with a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Great. So one question I kind of have off the top of that is like, okay, so you're looking for this turning the lens a little differently as to how we interact with our modern culture as Christians. What are some of like kind of the focal points that you are emphasizing through your Substack and through your writings and your coaching, all of that, that you would say, okay, these are some of the things that I'm observing that we need to change. You alluded to some of those. Let's kind of unpack that a little more. Sure. One of the key things that I think is different from the way I'm approaching it to at least some of the other things I see, particularly on social media. One is I'm not, I'm not motivated by anger at the church. There, mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff out there that that's, that's the motivation. And I yeah. feel like if that's the motivation, it's going to distort everything you do. So that's not the point. An another thing that I think is distinctive is that I don't have any need to change Christianity. I I'm not trying to go in and come in and say, you know what? I am so brilliant that I can change all that's developed before me by people like Augustine, Luther, you know, whoever your hero is. <laughs> I, I don't really think I'm smarter than them and I'm not going to come in and change everything. But here's what I am going to do. And again, this goes back to kind of more of a missional model, but it's like, to me, the scriptures are the source document of our translation. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how do we help people engage the scriptures and implement it in today's world, which, mm. you know, today's world is so different to just pre-pandemic. I mean, it's yeah. seriously different. So the, the key there is how do, we, how do we help people to read the scriptures, which are not easy for a lot of people to read. They're, they're really old. 
look, they're way older than the <laughs> stuff most people read. And they're not written in bullet point fashion, like a lot of our online content, right? But mm -hmm. they are such a powerful source for our journeys of life, our, our journey with Christ. So the first is to help people really inspire people and equip people to read the scriptures and figure out how to apply it into their lives. Another part of that, though, is that there are many translations that have already happened over the last 2,000 years. There are people in Christian history who have struggled with a lot of the things we're struggling with in terms of faith and life, maybe in a very different context, but that doesn't mean that what they come up with can't be an incredible help to us, whether it tells us this is what not to do or says, here is something we should try again today. It becomes relevant mm -hmm. again. I, I think of, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to skip that. I, that that could be a rabbit trail. <laughs> uh, we do that when we talk. There's so many cool things. So I'm trying yeah. to keep the rabbit trail. The third <laughs> thing is I just want to model, and there's a lot on my Substack channel about the scriptures. There's a lot about previous translations of Christianity. But what I also have is a section that's just my story where I'm trying to model for people, how do we take the real gritty stuff of our everyday lives and see it through the eyes of scripture in a way that that heals our wounds and and helps us to fall more in love with God and helps us to be able to really reach out to other people and truly serve them. So I've only got I got the first 3 posts on that. I'm working on the next 3, but it's just focused on how I integrate it. The idea being that if people can see how I've done it, that hopefully will inspire them to think how they're going to do it in their lives. I know their lives and my life is not their life. I, I get that. We all live very different lives. But if we can read each other's kind of testimonies, so to speak, then it can really encourage us in terms of our own journeys. So basically, we've got a source document in the Gospels. We've got the receptor language is the way life is lived today. And our job is to say, in my life, I want to take the source document and translate it through the source language in a mm -hmm. way that is really going to speak to people and have an impact in the world for good. So does that, does that help some? Yeah. And I think in some sense, you're recasting, like, this is the task of theology. Yes. Right. It's like, yes. it's been said before that theology is a conversation about God between the living and the dead. Mm -hmm. And that's a sense of which, number one, we're dealing with scripture. Number two, we're dealing with those who came before us. And number three, we're dealing with the people around us. Yes. And so, that kind of recasting of the theological problem in that way, the way that you're saying, can be very helpful because it focuses then on those narratives. Right. And I think the key thing, the really important thing that I would want people to hear is each person listening to this who is a follower of Christ has everything they need to be able to go deep, deep in their discipleship. And, and, and the odd thing, I think, about the way we pastors have done church, I don't think it's intentional, but a lot of times the relationship we build with our parishioners is such that the parishioners see themselves as dependent upon the pastor for their spiritual feeding and growth. Mm -hmm. And the reality is the pastor can definitely help. I, I, I'm not, but, but the reality is every one of us has the scriptures, every one of us has the Holy Spirit, every one of us has available to us incredible resources of how people in the past have lived the faith. And we've got our families. 
And one yeah. of the things I love about some of the some of the stuff I've read from the the late 1800s is there's they had this huge focus on family worship. That mm-hmm. was just it was the father, mother, and children would get together for worship. There was no pastor there, and it was let's do this together with the scriptures and and with talking about faith and all of that. And I want to I, I really feel like in the time that we're in, one of the key things that will help the church in the future is if is if these small groups and families really take ownership for their own journey and begin to really grow. I, I know if I was a pastor, you know, if I was still pastoring a particular church, I would love it if people came up to me and said, you know what, we, we're, we've got our family doing worship together. And I have some questions just about how do I lead my family, you know, in these worship services? I, mm-hmm. that would, I, I wouldn't feel like, hey, wait a minute, that's my territory. You can't do that. I mean, I wouldn't feel like it. I'd be like, yes. Let me help you. I'd love this to be a part the job. of one of yeah. yeah, exactly. This is what I want to see happen. But instead, you know, and this is more on the negative side, but what I tend to hear from, from people sometimes when they're looking for church is, well, that sermon, I don't know. It just didn't feed me. You know, I, I wasn't fed when yeah. I went to that service. And it's like, well, your job to feed yourself and then come contribute to the church. That That's mm-hmm. really how I think you know, the dispersal of the Holy Spirit is such that, that, that we're all supposed to be contributing together. And so I'm hoping that my Substack will empower people in that way to experience more of what they really can do. Each one of us can do, uh, mm-hmm. because we have, again, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, other examples around us, and a community of people that we love. And I'm not, you know, you don't have to have more than that. More than that's helpful, but as far as I could tell in the history of Christianity, if you got those things, you got what you need to really move forward in the faith. So I hope we can relearn that in the West. And and because I would just love for the West to fall in love with Christianity again. Yeah, there was a time where Christianity was the thing that inspired our intellectuals and our scientists and, you know, and, and our everyday people and our mm-hmm. you know workers and miners and the people that Wesley worked with, you know. They were all inspired by this, this incredible gospel, but today it's, it's so different. And so, so many people, even if they want to hear the good news, there's like a million barriers in the way that they, they don't get to it as good news. It's more like a threat or a problem or a concern or a worry or, you know, and it's like, oh, this is supposed to be good news. This is great stuff, you know? So yeah. I hope we can get there. I hope we can get there again. Your point is well taken that in the past, it used to be that so many were inspired by the messages in scripture as part of the impetus for doing what they did, whether that was science, whether that was business and so on. And so trying to recapture that, I think is really crucial here. It's interesting that we're beginning to perhaps see some of the, perhaps we should call them righteous pagans or whatever, but like there's this new kind of awareness that like, if you notice that there's this thing over here called the Bible. If you notice that there was this thing in history called Christianity, this thing that a lot of our postmodern culture is saying is a bunch of garbage, you know, it might actually be a pretty good thing. And it's folks like Jordan Peterson who are kind of leading that charge on some level. And are we paying attention? Because this is an opportunity, right? And so I'm curious, do you see that as a similar kind of opportunity? Or do you feel like that's something we should be leveraging? Or how do we respond to things like that? Well, I think that's good. I mean, I, I have found it interesting the way that Peterson has done a whole series of videos on the Bible from more of a psychological perspective. Yeah. And, and I do think that gets that gets the scriptures back out there again because mm-hmm. um, 
you know, the, the, one of the most difficult challenges we have is I think most people don't really even know what the Bible says. I mean, they, they're not right. familiar with characters, the stories or anything. They have some vague ideas, but I mean, you think about it, where are you going to learn it? You're not going to learn it in school. You're, if, if you don't do yeah. any of the Christmas services, you know, you're not going to sing the carols that have such great theology in them, you know, so where are you going to actually pick the stuff up? So I think Peterson helps with, with things like that. I, 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 I do think though that, you know, the heart of it is the relationships that we have with people though, the direct relationships. Sure. To me, the heart of all of it is, is if individuals are going deeper in their faith and then relating to the people around them personally, then other people, that, that blows away all sorts of stereotypes. That, that, mm -hmm. that paves all sorts of ground because people are like, wait, now, wait, you're, That's you're a weird. Christian? Yeah. You're serious about that? Well, you know, and, and it opens up all sorts of possibilities for it. So I still think that's the primary method, but okay, I do yeah. think, and, and you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not yet as hopeful about the culture's conversation as a whole, because I, I still see Christianity cast as, you know, the, the, the thing we're trying to get away from, yeah. you know, it's like, even though, you know, Wilberforce and his crowd you know, we're at the center of the first country to make slavery illegal and it shut down the global slave trade at that time. Mm -hmm. um, that's not acknowledged that, that his motivation was his faith. It, it was right. Christianity that was the, but somehow that story is not there. Instead, what, what's cited are like the Southern Christians, the some of the Southern Christians that were supportive of slavery using the scriptures or yeah. I heard, heard Bill Mayer and on, on one of his shows, he, he made the statement that, that the Bible thinks slavery is great. And yeah, it's just well. like, how can you even say <laughs> yeah. that? You know, because it's like, what about the Exodus story? You know, yeah, hello? have you forgotten the trajectory of scripture? I'm sorry there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you missed but that that's one. The thing is people don't know all they know. Yeah. You know, they, they take, I'm sure he heard that somewhere and decided yeah. that that was true, but it's like, these are the kinds of things. So I don't, I don't know if, again, to well, me, I guess where I'm, yeah, go for it. Well, I guess what I'm thinking is that there seems to be some shifts going on and there seemed to be some impetus from folks like Jordan Peterson and others where there might be an inroad. And that's where I'm kind of wondering is that if you're trying to kind of interject in a similar kind of, well, obviously as a Christian but you're interjecting into that space too. Yeah. And and that's an exciting thing to consider because that's right. Because that's like that's where the role of the public intellectual, if you will, yeah. is very important here. Yep. And right now, like we don't have a lot of prominent public intellectuals who are unabashedly Christian. No. And that's really kind of sad when you think about it, right? It sure is. I mean, I I would say the bullseye for me is to facilitate a grassroots movement of people. Mm -hmm. that are trying to figure out how to live out Christianity in their everyday lives. So it's, it's very grassroots in that sense. However, I think you're right. If, if, you know, I am more than happy to, you know, and I would actually love to have conversations with some folks that would really like to talk about Christianity and its impact or possibilities for society. You know, I think, yeah. I think in a lot of ways, I was, I'm just looking at uh, Paul Johnson's got a, a book, from 1980, something called Intellectuals. Mm. And he starts off with Rousseau. And one of the things that he talks about there is how within the last couple of hundred years, 
really the secular intellectual has taken the place of the clerical authority in our society. Yes. But that they're unencumbered, quote unquote, by the authority or traditions or scriptures mm-hmm. uh, and can come up with whatever views they want. And then that they have these beliefs that that because they believe it, they think it, it's going to happen. They can make it happen for all of society. So, you know, I think, I think our, our, just speaking from a cultural perspective, the West desperately needs in their intellectual conversation, people that are going to be working out of the authority of scripture, out of the tradition yeah. of Christianity to interject that back into the conversation. Because otherwise, I mean, I think we're seeing that today. We, we kind of run from fire to fire. Yes. You know, I thought, how many sit-ins and marches and whatever have we had in the last 10 years, say? And what did those actually do? And, and as far as I can tell, none of them did anything. And yet we're jumping from issue to issue to issue where yeah. we're living off of our anger and our frustration and how horrible other people are. And we think that's going to get us somewhere. And it's not. It's just eroding our sense of community and our sense of of being a culture together. And and so we desperately need other voices that are going to speak outside of that secular intellectual realm mm-hmm. um, and, and and get involved in that conversation because otherwise we we really we're we're rudderless. We 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 don't have any way to direct ourselves except for power, which of course is what a lot of the you know, a lot of what motivates things anyway is everything is power, but it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It doesn't have to be yeah. just about power, but if we decide it is and erode every other institution or tradition there is, then yeah, that's all we got is power. So let's let's talk, let's talk outside of that and, and see if we can't find some other things that are actually guiding and directing or can guide and direct our lives together. Yeah. The person that comes to mind, I mean, strangely enough, and I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but like somebody who kind of embodies this to me is like C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. you know, a man who was writing, I mean, he's obviously a literature professor, a tremendous intellect and was able to communicate to a great Britain of his day in a very unique way. And I'm not saying, you know, Randy Lovejoy is going to be the next C.S. Lewis. No, we're not. We're not saying that, right? But that's, yeah, let's, let's not go there. But, yeah, we're not going to go there. <laughs> I'm too old to gain the experience. <laughs> that guy had amazing experience from such an early age. You know, I mean, he had great education. He dove into the right things, and you know, all of that. But I will say this: I, I think you know part of what I'm trying to do. You know, for example, I'm doing a, 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 a series called a new commentary, and and I'm taking passages of scripture we all know. But I'm, I'm trying to tell them as a story rather than more of a, how do we, let me, let me, you know, dissect this thing into pieces, tell you who argued what about it, and then you can put it back together again, which I feel like is what a lot of modern, you know, commentators end up doing because that's kind of our way to do it. But what I'm trying to do, like I'm, I'm just finishing up one on Psalm 67, but I'm trying to tell it through the eyes of, of the person who might have written it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't tell us who wrote that particular psalm. So I'm working through the eyes of somebody who might have written it and when they wrote it and what was going on and what their hopes and dreams were. Part of part of why I'm doing that is because I really I realized that, you know, if you think of C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles, 
and compare that to Karl Barth on the Romans, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's say, which, which one do you think sold more? <laughs> well, definitely Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> which one do you think was read more? It would be Narnia. <laughs> you know, and which one do you think stimulated people's imaginations more? You know, and it's... Yeah. So with that thought, I did a little bit of a deep dive into C.S. Lewis, and I found out that one of the huge mentors for him, actually one of the guys that was really moved him toward faith was George MacDonald. George MacDonald, yeah. Who started as a pastor. His congregation didn't really like his preaching, so they cut his salary in half, but he stuck with them for a few more years before he finally gave up and said, fine, you know, I'm going to try writing in a different style. And, and at least according to some sources, he's the guy who invented fantasy literature. Yeah. So he's the one that opened up C.S. Lewis's mind to theism. And I think Lewis has some quote about, you know, I didn't write a book without him having an influence or something. Yeah. But he influenced massive numbers of people with his stories that yes, they were fantasy, but they were fantasy in which you there's so much great wisdom in the yeah. stories that George MacDonald wrote. And then you see that reflected in C.S. Lewis and in Tolkien as well. And again, if you think about those, the influence of those stories, even in people's lives today. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw the last Tolkien in theaters, but we saw it in this cool <laughs> oh, theater in Hollywood. <laughs> it was packed full of people. Yeah. And when the story was over, the packed house just went, yeah, it just started applauding. I mean, you could tell that this stuff had met people oh, yeah. deeply. And, and, and my thought is, that's because a lot of their themes are, are the themes of the scriptures and the themes of the human heart. Mm -hmm. And so let's figure out how to write about this stuff in a way that's going to really invite people in without them having to get a seminary degree. You know, I think, I think that's a worthwhile thing. So, so part of what I'm doing, not all of it, but part of what I'm doing is trying to write more and more in a kind of a historical fiction manner mm -hmm. uh, to try to invite people into the scriptures or into the history of Christianity and to really get inspired by it. Because there's just a million sources of inspiration in the Bible and in the history of Christianity. So I would appreciate people's prayers that I yeah. figure out how to do that because I'm having to unlearn, you know, my, my, over 500 sermons I've written and preached, you know, I, I've got to kind of unlearn that method to be able to learn this method, but I'm really enjoying it and, and, and really hope that, that it'll have an impact and help people in their journey. So, so yeah, bringing up C.S. Lewis isn't a bad idea at all. He's one of the ones I'm definitely looking at in terms of figuring out how I'm going to move forward with my writing. Yeah. Well, and, and so we've talked a lot about your kind of philosophy and the development of it and where you're going with all this. And I'm kind of going to turn this a little back into the business side of things because yeah. that's very much part of our theme here. You're doing this in a very different way. Like what have you kind of learned that has informed you to go in this particular business manner? Yeah. Like how has that kind of been informed by your faith and what sort of decisions have you kind of had to grasp and wrestle with a bit in that regard? Well, you know, the first thing is I had to have, find the courage to be entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the way that I did that, I ended up with a, a wonderful group of ex-military. I'm, I'm not military. I, they, they allowed me in, even though <laughs> I, I had no military experience. But it was a wonderful group of, of, of ex-military entrepreneurs. And they gave me so much strength and courage as I really moved forward in figuring out how I was going to pull this off. Um, and, and so that's one of the things is, is, you know, I think a lot of our 
a lot of the business leaders in the church, I, I want you to, I want to encourage you to, to that, that the skills that you have and the courage that you have and the creativity and vision that you have is something that Christianity desperately needs. Now that, of course, doesn't mean you need to go start a church. I'm not saying that. Right. But I'm saying that you have a skill set that the church desperately needs and needs to hear from, even though, as I've spoken to some entrepreneurs, you know, that I've connected with, you may find it very frustrating to sit in a committee meeting in your church <laughs> because you feel like there isn't an opportunity for you to contribute in that way. You, you are needed. And, and please, please, you know, use your skills for the sake of, of the church as well. You know, the other thing that I had to do, and, and, you know, maybe this was prior to, to my, my work with the entrepreneurs, but I had to understand how important business is. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, as I was reading this, this Johnson book on Rousseau, one of the things that he said Rousseau did to rearrange the furniture in the Western mind was that he, he sees Rousseau as really the source of our concern about business, about capitalism and about business, that he, he traces it to Rousseau's critique. And I really, you know, without knowing it, I, I kind of followed that path of Rousseau. But what it took was some experiences, again, overseas in other countries, of seeing how business people could transform their families, their communities, their churches, just by having a well-run and successful business. Mm. That the impact of that is massive. I mean, massive. And, 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 and once I saw that and then got the courage from these entrepreneurs to really try and go for it, then I was wide open to the idea of, okay, maybe this business slash ministry could not only have an impact in what I'm writing, but that if I build this thing in the right way, if we can get it to where it's sustainable, which is our first goal, but then after that, begin to talk with people who have these business skills about scalability, mm. uh, about how do we spread this? If it's working with this cadre of people, how do we make this grow? Because then it'll help more people, employ more people, have that kind of an impact. You know, that's an exciting thought to me now, whereas before, as a pastor missionary, that would have that would have been fearful, doubtful, unsure, you know, but now it's like, wow, if we, you know, if I get to the scalability part, that's when the fun's really going to begin. And that's when the impact at a different level could really begin. And so, you know, all that to say that that you business leaders, you know, if you can run your business well, if you can make your business a place where people want to go, where they know they're going to be treated fairly, where they know they're going to be, their skills are going to be used in a way that matters. You can change the world with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you really can change so many people's lives and you can change the world with that. So get out there and go for it and don't let any of the barriers get in your way because we need you. We need you desperately. That sounds kind of like an answer almost to my next question that I, was gonna, that I usually try to end off with, which is, yeah, because as we're drawing to a close here, there's always one thing I like to ask people. And that's, yeah, if you were thinking about the kinds of things that you would tell a younger version of yourself, like if you could go back in time, give yourself some advice, what sorts of things would you say? Kind of sounds like you're hinting at that already, <laughs> but is there is there anything else you would kind of tack onto that? Make sure that young Randy needs to know in the distant past here. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I would say I, I wrote a I wrote a post recently that I learned a lot from about myself. <laughs> so, and, and it was just this. It was this memory of how I used to when I was in elementary school. I would play with Legos, figures, all <laughs> sorts of stuff in my room for hours on end, mm -hmm. happily. I mean, my mom remembers she was like cleaning the house or something. And it'd been like three hours. She's like, oh my gosh, I haven't checked on Randy. And she ran to my, ran to my <laughs> room, opened the door, worried that I was, you know, freaking out. And I was just like, oh, hi mom, how's it going? You know, and I built this whole city and was, <laughs> so, you know, when I became, when I went to seminary, those creative skills were shaped in a way that was helpful, but also caused me to lose some of that creativity. And so the first thing I would say to folks is, and I would say to myself when I was younger is, be fully who you are. Okay. Just own it. Figure out what motivates you. When do you lose your sense of time? What is it that you love doing that maybe other people think slightly weird? <laughs> and maybe that's kind of part of your calling. Use that. Focus on that. Explore that. Go for that. And don't let your professional, the, the, the structures of business, professional business, knock off part of who you are so that you can just kind of fit in and, and make money and take care of your family. Coast. That, yeah. Yeah. And so that's where the second part comes in, which is go for it. You know, mm -hmm. be courageous, you know, be strong and courageous, you know, because, because, you know, the way that you're made I really think we're all puzzle pieces that God's made us in ways that we'll fit together to make a beautiful whole, but we have yeah. to figure out where we fit and, and don't let, don't, don't just kind of fit for the sake of fitting in, but figure out how you fit in. I, I, you know, Mondays I spend nine hours in a library, happy as a clam. I feel like a total nerd, but I'm happy as a clam because I'm writing, researching, and I could do that forever. And I know from my friends, that's really weird for lots of people. There, there's a group of us that can do that. But a lot of us, it's like, no way. Well, that's a strength. And, and, and I need to go for it and use that for the sake of my faith in mm -hmm. any and every way I can. And so those are the two lessons I would, I would give myself. Be yourself and just go for it. And go on the adventure, man. See, see where it's going to lead because it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, but sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone. I guess maybe always you have to step out of your comfort zone to do that. For sure. Well, Randy, this has been a wonderful conversation with you here. I really appreciate it. And let's uh, let everybody know here once more, how do they find your Substack in particular if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, the, the Substack channel is called Make Good Happen with Randy Lovejoy on Substack. And you can certainly look at a lot of the content without signing up, or there's a, a free subscription, but there's also content that is part of a paid subscription. And again, that's how I make this sustainable. So I hope you read, get excited and feel like it's, it's, worth, it's worth it to, uh, to have a paid subscription to it. And it's, it posts every Thursday and Sunday, 5 p.m. It'll show up in your email box, the content, and you can access it whenever you want to. You know, if if anybody wants to connect with me, I, I'm more than happy to connect with you. So, you know, Randy at randylovejoy.com is my email address. And if if there's something in our conversation here or the vision we've discussed that 
you'd like to talk about further, let me know. I'd, I'd love to talk with you and find out what, what caught your attention. Um, awesome. and, and I think those are, those are the two best ways at this point. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Randy. I really have appreciated talking with you both Thanks, in this Norman. interview and then all the other time that we spent together here. That's right. That's right. It's amazing to meet such interesting people. And I hope that if you're listening to them for the first time, check out what Randy's doing. Check out the other things that we're doing on Faith Ventures. And we appreciate your time and attention. So until next time, this has been Faith Ventures. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>